Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Armand Lee. So, of course, this is the quarterly report. Thank you so much for listening again to another brand new episode. I really appreciate you. You know, each week I start off by saying, you know, we got a really good show or I think we've got a fun show, but I actually feel like this is one of the better ones coming up. I'm going to be joined by NBC Sports Washington college basketball expert Dan Martin. He's going to break down the entire drama, all of the details surrounding the FBI's investigation into NCAA hoops and where things go from here. Also, the NBA got the All-Star game change right. However, when it comes to their lottery change that they issued out last week, I'll tell you why. They still have work to do. All that and so much more. But first, the number one topic this week. First quarter. You guys know me quite well if you listen to the show, especially if you listen to the show for any amount of time. So I don't have to tell you how much I love the NBA and how excited I am for this upcoming season. You know, there's so many storylines that the, the league has in store that has developed over this past offseason, right? We've got Chris Paul going to Houston and how will he and James Harden work together? You've got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony going to Oklahoma City. Can they, you know, help Russell Westbrook take down the Golden State Warriors? Kyrie Irving's going to Boston. Can the Wizards finally, you know, make that last step to get to the conference championship? There's so many really interesting storylines and really fascinating players to watch this upcoming season. And this past weekend, man, I was I was like a kid in the candy store at just the start of the preseason. And and mind you, y'all know I'm a Knicks fan. My team is going to be really bad this year, but yet I'm still extremely excited for the upcoming season. But it's not because, you know, how other people view excitement, right? I know, just like everyone listening to this knows, that the prohibited favorite, as it should be, will again be the Golden State Warriors, right? The Golden State Warriors should be favored to win their third championship in four years, right? But the intrigue does exist in whether or not they are pushed. Because last year, let's face it, what, they only lost twice? Once? Once in the entire playoffs. They lost one time in the NBA Finals, right? So they weren't really pushed. And despite the fact that I thought last season, especially the regular season was fun. The playoffs were underwhelming because it was a foregone conclusion. You know, Cleveland only lost one time in the Eastern conference playoffs. Golden state swept through the Western conference playoffs. The one team that we thought could give Golden state problems was San Antonio, but Kawhi Leonard got hurt in the very first game of their Western conference championship series. So relatively speaking, Golden Golden state had a, a cakewalk to their second championship. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated for this upcoming year. Not because I think Golden State will lose, but because I think they're going to have a difficult time repeating. And I don't think the problem will lie with Oklahoma City. Although you have three, you know, talented offensive players like Oklahoma City does. You always have to give them a puncher's chance. But I actually think the Thunder are going to struggle this season. And while I think Houston has a chance to be really good and really dangerous, I don't think they have enough to beat Golden State. So you may be asking, why do who's the team? Why do I think Golden State will have a tougher road to repeat than they did last year? And that answer is 
the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it's not because Dwayne Wade is on the team per se. It's definitely not because he may be a starter. I'll explain. So one of the things I think, one of the reasons I should say that I feel this way, you got to kind of take a large look at the history between Golden State, right, and Cleveland. They've played each other for three consecutive years in the NBA Finals. So at this point, these teams know each other inside and out, right? And I feel like Tyron Lue and the Cleveland Cavaliers have made a very important decision this offseason when they made the decision to start Kevin Love at the five. Now, a lot of people were like, man, you can't start Kevin Love at center. What are they doing? This would be problematic. You know, Tristan Thompson makes a lot of money to bring him off the bench. And those are all valid points. And side note, how much do you think Dan Gilbert hates LeBron? Like deep down. Because no one wanted to pay Tristan Thompson that $90 million contract except for LeBron. And to appease LeBron, Dan Gilbert paid him that money. Even though everyone knew he wasn't worth that money. And now, just a few years later, Tristan Thompson probably comes off the bench. But I digress. Back to my original point. Starting Kevin Love at the center is such an important decision for Cleveland and a move that I think actually makes the most sense. And hear me out, because I know some of y'all are like, man, he's crazy. He's tripping right now. But hear me out. How many of you guys play cards? You know, you play cards with your, your, home, your homeboys, your partners, or whatever. And if you play cards, there's a, there's a thing called a tell. If you don't know it, or you're not familiar with the term, a tell is when someone is, um, when they're about to make a move, or you can, you can determine what a person is doing because of a little, little slight hint or a slight tell, if you will, that someone is doing that they're not even aware of, right? They have certain mannerisms that they'll do when they're feeling good, right? So if they have a very good hand, maybe they, they scratch their chin hairs or they start humming. And if you, if you see them do that, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to bet this hand because his tell is letting me know that there's something good that he's looking at. Or flip side, maybe someone blinks really, really fast when they know they have a bad hand, right? So they can't bluff because they've already told on themselves. Does that make sense? Because Cleveland and Golden State have such a familiarity between each other, I feel that Cleveland knows Golden State's tell. And Golden State's tell isn't like there's a weakness per se, because we know on paper, not even just on paper, in application, we've seen it. Golden State, they're like Voltron. You know, when all the little pieces link up, there's nothing that can stop them. You know what I'm saying? They're about to do damage. However, Golden State's tell isn't necessarily a sign of weakness. It's a show of how can you manipulate them, right? Golden State's weakness really isn't necessarily a weak point. It's, it's, it's a vulnerability between the team. And that weakness is something that we all saw two years ago. Remember the 73-win Golden State team? Your team that was supposedly the best roster, the best season in NBA history? Well, they didn't win the championship. And we know why they didn't win the championship. It's because Draymond Green got suspended. And that's the tell. That's the weakness. And that's what Cleveland, I feel, is trying to manipulate with Golden State by starting Kevin Love at the five. There's nobody on Golden State who can check. Not check like defensively, but when when Draymond Green gets out of line, 
There's nobody on that roster. There's no one on that coaching staff who can pull Draymond aside and tell him to chill. No one on that roster checks him. We know Steph doesn't do it. Steph's played with Draymond all of Draymond's career. And each year, Draymond seemingly gets more and more outrageous with his uh, antics, if you will. And Kevin Durant, I mean, come on. Kevin Durant has fake Twitter accounts. <laughs> who, is, who is he? Who? How could he possibly check anyone, let alone Draymond? And we know Steve Kerr can't do it because a few years back, there was that huge dust up, you know, when Golden State went to Oklahoma City before Kevin Durant went to Golden State. So when it was still KD and Russ on the Thunder, at halftime, there was a big, you know, a big dust up between Draymond and Steve Kerr and, Draymond, I guess, reportedly had some physical threats that he made. He didn't physically attack Steve Kerr, but he he apparently threatened him. All that to say, Draymond is the weak spot, not because he's not good. Make no mistake, I think Draymond is a very talented NBA player. Draymond, in fact, is the engine. He is what enables Golden State to play at the pace and the style that they do. Right? Golden State gets all the credit for being an amazing offensive team, but what people fail to realize is the two times that Golden State won the championship, they were the second-best defensive team in the NBA, both times. And we know the reason why. Yes, Klay Thompson is an amazing defender. Andre Iguodala is an amazing defender. But we know who the best defender on that team is, and it's Draymond. So back to Cleveland, because I'm sure you're asking, okay, well, what does that have to do with Kevin Durant? Okay, well, or not Kevin Durant, Kevin Love. When Tyron Lue said that they're going to think about and possibly start Kevin Love at the five, I was like, oh, man, this is beautiful because you can't outshoot Golden State. It can't happen because they've got two of the best, three of the best shooters in the entire league. And two bigs doesn't work against Golden State precisely because of Draymond, right? Draymond is such a physical defender. Like Draymond, although he's small, he could defend your big. And because Draymond is so skilled and versatile, he's like a point guard on Golden State. He's Golden State's best passer. So he's the quarterback for them. So he'll bring the ball up the floor. You know, he'll call plays at the top of the arc. And he'll pick your defense apart, especially if your big man is a traditional big man, like a Rudy Gobert or a Hassan Whiteside or an Anthony Davis, for that matter. Well, you have to bring them away from the paint. So guys who protect the rim, an amazing quality and something that's extremely valuable in the league. If you're guarding Draymond Green, well, you're out of the paint now. And Draymond Green gets his pick defenses apart with his amazing passing. So Cleveland was like, okay, well, Tristan at the five is not working. We, it just doesn't make sense. And we've seen him in the finals last year. Tristan Thompson was awful because he banged with Draymond and Draymond is so good. Plus Tristan isn't a threat to score. So off, so when you're on offense, you're playing four on five because Tristan just can't score. And defensively, having Tristan Thompson away from the rim, like it, it, it actually plays in Golden State's favor because now you basically have Kevin Love trying to rebound against all of Golden State's players close to the basket. And Golden State's versatility is their biggest weapon. So what I feel Cleveland is doing with Kevin Love starting at center Almost it's like what a matador does to a bull. You just wave the you wave the the flag of the bull to try to bait him into charging you. And I think that's genius. Draymond Green 
as amazing of an NBA player he is, he's awful at shooting from the floor. And those numbers have gotten worse over the years. And one of the main reasons they get worse is because Draymond is taking more and more shots that he can't make. It's something that I preach to the cows come home. It's one of the reasons I don't think DeMarcus Cousins is as good as most of you guys think he is. Because DeMarcus Cousins shoots so many shots that he doesn't make. Draymond is a low 40% shooter. And he's even worse from three-point line. He's in the mid to low 30s. But he takes so many more shots than he should. So what do you think happens when he sees Kevin Love guarding him? Like Shaq says, what? Barbecue chicken. He's going to bait. Having Kevin Love, someone that we all know is a poor defender, is basically goading, is enticing, is baiting Draymond to take more shots. And let's let's keep it up. Let's keep it honest, right? If you have the option of having Kevin Durant shoot shots, Steph Curry, or Klay Thompson, or Draymond Green, who which of those four guys would you rather shoot? Of course it's Draymond. So what does Cleveland do? They're like, okay, well, you know what? We know we know Golden State's tail. No one on that team can check him from a leadership standpoint. No one can control Draymond. And what makes Draymond such an amazing basketball player is his passion. But if it's if you can't check it, right? If you can't control that passion, it turns into a situation that can blow up in your face. So put Kevin Love on Draymond from a defensive standpoint, and hopefully. You, you entice Draymond to take more shots than he should because he sees a, a poor defender on him. You know, it's, it's like we all play fantasy sports. You know, you're playing with your partners. Or maybe, like I said, you play cards. And, you all, and, and if you're playing fantasy, fantasy sports, you got to know the other guys in your league. The guy, when you're playing fantasy sports, the guy who knows everyone in the league, he has the advantage on everyone, right? Because he knows them personally. He knows what buttons to push, you know, right? So there are guys in fantasy sports who never draft players from their favorite teams, right? So if you have an auto draft and you know one of his favorite players is on his team and you know he doesn't like having favorite guys or his guys on his team on his on his roster, his fantasy roster, you can manipulate that. Just like there's always guys who want to have his favorite players on his team. So if you if your if your friend's favorite player is, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, let's say he's a Bucks fan, he's from Milwaukee, and you draft him, well, you know he wants him, right? And you can manipulate that in your favor. Also, there's always the guy, you know, who's got the overbearing girlfriend and the real jerk boss. So, you know, he's he's always used to always getting sunned. So, you know, you can flip that. His ego is weak, right? So in the league, you know he's going to be extra aggressive. He's trying to overcompensate for him being sunned in his personal and his professional life. You can always flip that. You can manipulate that. That's the tell. That's how you flip a situation to your behalf. And that's exactly what Tyron Lue and the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing, in my opinion, by starting Kevin Love. Because they know talent for talent, nobody can match up with Golden State. They've got, the, they've got two of the best Five players in the league. And that doesn't count Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andre Iguodala. The team is loaded. So from a talent standpoint, nobody can match up with them. How can you beat them, though? You got to utilize, right, 
all your advantages. You got to manipulate the situation. You got to press those buttons. You got to use the tells. And Draymond Green, despite being an amazing NBA player, he's the weak spot for Golden State, not from a talent standpoint, but because no one on that roster, no one on that roster has what it takes to pull Draymond aside and check him. We've seen Draymond check KD. We've seen Draymond check Steph or check Clay. Who's ever checked Draymond on the Warriors? Not even the coaches. So from the, the Machiavellian, the mind, the mental aspect, starting Kevin Love is genius. But it's not even just that. It's even deeper than that. Because, look, the regular starting lineup or what we thought was going to be the projected starting lineup was going to be Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Derrick Rose until Isaiah Thomas gets healthy. But listen to that. That doesn't sound like any uh, uh, a real balanced roster, does it? Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wayne, LeBron James, and Tristan Thompson on the same floor? Oh, my goodness. There's no spacing, right? None of those guys are what you would say are great shooters, good shooters by that matter. And none of those guys are even what you would consider great free throw shooters, really. I mean, Rose is a, a fairly decent free throw shooter, but he rarely gets to the line. So, offensively, there's no spacing. No one, no one deserves respect from the three-point line, and you bunch up and you clutter driving lanes and passing lanes for LeBron. Now, usually, right, when you have a lineup that's really poor offensively and doesn't provide any type of spacing, those lineups are great defensively. But that's not the case with that projected Cleveland lineup. And I'm speaking of the lineup of Rose, Wade, LeBron, Tri uh, Love, and Tristan, right? The only defender on that team that you can consistently count on, game in and game, game out, would be Tristan. Because LeBron, we all know, he paces himself. And he doesn't really, number one, there's a little bit of slippage defensively for LeBron. And number two, we know that he doesn't push himself on a regular season, night in and night out basis, because he's saving himself in the playoffs. So you really would have an awful offensive lineup and an awful defensive lineup as well. So that can't work. But when you start Kevin Love at the five, right, and bring Jay Crowder instead of putting him on the bench, start him at the four, now you got some shooting because people forget. Jay Crowder is not only a versatile defender, he also shot 40% from three last season. So he can spread the floor as well. So if your five and your four can shoot the three, LeBron now has spacing. And Dwayne Wade, everybody's like, yo, it's back to Miami, the big three. LeBron and Dwayne Wade back together again. No, 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 no. Bring Dwayne Wade off the bench as your sixth man, right? And start JR at the two. And now you've got three shooters who can space the floor, and you open up the court for Derrick Rose and LeBron James. Again, Derrick Rose will start until Isaiah Thomas is healthy, and many people – Expect that to happen after the All-Star break. So not only are you using Kevin Love as a, as a I don't want to say a decoy, but as bait, if you will, right? To entice Draymond Green to take shots that we all know he can't make and take them at the expense of Kevin Durant and at the expense of Steph Curry and at the expense of Klay Thompson. But you're also giving yourself a loaded offensive arsenal to shoot threes and to provide spacing for LeBron 
and Derrick Rose. And then when Isaiah Thomas comes back, now look at what you got. You got Wade and Rose coming off your bench, both guys who aren't what they used to be, aren't where they are in their primes. But especially with Dwayne Wade, we know those type of special players. They may not be able to do it night in and night out like they used to, but when the when the the games matter the most, when the moment is the biggest, who's going to bet against Dwayne Wade? We've seen it time and time out. When it matters the most, Dwayne Wade somehow, some way musters up that one game, right? Or that one quarter to kind of change everything. And that's all you would need him for. Dwayne Wade shouldn't be asked to play 30 minutes anymore. But if he could get you 26 minutes, maybe 30 minutes in a big night, game seven. I'm not saying that Cleveland will beat Golden State. But I think, my friends, they decided and they figured out the best way to stop Voltron. If you agree with me, let me know. All you got to do is follow me on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. If you agree with those thoughts, let me know. And if you disagree, that's even better. Argue with me. Just keep it clean. You know what I'm saying? Nothing crazy. Don't insult me. We can have a civilized disagreement. Don't jump out there, though, because I don't play no games. (laughs) But if you agree or disagree, let me know, and we can have a debate, man, because this show is best when we interact. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. That was a little bit long, but y'all know, man, I'm so geeked up for the start of the NBA season, and we're just a few days away. But we're going to keep things moving, as I'm going to bring back a segment that is near and dear to my heart, one of the originals from the first, from the very start of the show. That's going to be our second topic this week. Second quarter. Ah, uh, yeah. Yo, it's 50. A.K.A. Ferrari. Yo, if you've been listening to this show, you know what that song means. You know, it's a, it's a segment that we haven't done in a while here on the Quarterly Report, but I'm bringing it back because this week it was so fitting. Of course, it's the Sports Wingster. Now, for those of you who haven't heard the show or not familiar with the song, the best part of this song, Wingster, and it was by 50 Cent, came out, man, God knows, man, early 2000s it was when he goes damn homie in high school you was the man homie what the happened to you right and that line is the best part maybe the best thing 50 cent ever did really from a musical standpoint because i know so many of y'all love power and don't even get me started but that line is such a great line man because it's happened to us all the time how many times have you gone out and you see somebody you went to school with dude who was really like had all the juice, was really shining. And he was like, dog, what happened to you, Slim? You thought to yourself, well, you see the youngin' who was like the baddest girl in school, the youngin' who maybe even curves you. And you see it now, you're like, jeesh, what the happened to you? Like, that's the realest thing he has ever, ever rapped. You know what I'm saying? But it, it's not just the best things, right, can be applied to real life and in sports. And I feel like, the sports wankster is something that we all can relate to because we've all done it. Now, for those of you, again, if you haven't listened to the show, this is your first time hearing it, I'll give you, you know, what I like to call the sports wankster hall of fame. You know, former athletes or maybe even current athletes who used to be, again, the guy or the, the lady when they was in high school, maybe when you were in high school, but now they fell off so much that you just, you know, you see them, you're like, damn, what the heck, what happened to you? Right? So the number one member of the Sports Wings, the Hall of Fame, again, 
Freddie Adu. You know, this dude, they were slicing him. He was he was on the Tonight Show, David Letterman, the whole nine. He talking about how he's gonna he's gonna resurrect American soccer. Where the hell is Freddie Adu at, bro? Where has he been? You understand what I'm saying? Like he was a kid. He was like a 14 years old or whatever. You know, partying at College Park. Where the hell is Freddie Adu? You understand what I'm saying? We also got Lenny Cook. You know, when he was a kid, you know, when he was in high school, people thought he was better than LeBron James. Lenny Cook only played a second in the NBA, bro. And that story is a little bit rough. So, it's you know, it could be a positive. It could be kind of a funny segment. You know, it's supposed to be a funny segment. But like with all humor, you know, there's some, there's some real tough things in there. Steve Francis used to be my guy. Steve Francis now pouring liquor on himself in the club. You understand what I'm saying? You know, so there's a lot of people who fall into the sports wingster category. And this week, we're going to bring it back because, man, I'm online last week. At the end of last week, pull the curtain back a little bit, let you guys give you some insight into how I get down for the show. So I'm online trying to look up topics for the show. Like I said, I'm super geeked up that basketball is about to start. And y'all know I'm a Knicks fan. You know what I'm saying? So going, making my rounds, looking at, you know, the blogs, trying to find out some fun stories or whatever. And on my timeline, I see Michael Beasley, new Ford for the New York Knicks, and he's on this interview or whatever with this young lady on SNY, Sports New York, is what it stands for. And honestly, and, you know, y'all are taking time out of your personal lives to listen to me. I appreciate that. But as someone who is communicating, right, I can't do it justice, this interview justice, and what Michael Beasley says justice. So I'm going to fall back, and I'm going to let y'all listen to him and this interview, just a little bit of a snippet for yourselves. Take a listen. If you look up, right, you can research the human brain and da-da-da, right? Okay. It says that the like we are only capable of using 10% of our brain. Right? Yes. You believe that? No, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. And you got to say it's true. I'm saying that's what people oh. say, that that is, that so, is the consensus so scientifically. it's the consensus scientifically. So who was the guy that used 11 that made it okay to say everybody's just using 10? That isn't the right logic. No, 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 just, 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 no, no, just, 10% of just, your brain just, is just, the one that just, said 10%. No, because if you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. Like, like. He knew it was 10% of your brain based on your brain. Who you don't have he? to be using 11% to know someone else. He's saying, I'm 10%, you're 10%, like, everyone's 10%. That is that, not that, mathematically that, no, correct. That is not, like, like, someone had to. But you have to have been using 10, more than 10% of your brain yes. to know that everyone else uses 10? Yes, because if you're only using 10% of something, that means you don't know the rest of the 90. Yo, <laughs> Michael Beasley, if you haven't put it together yet, Yo ass, you are the sports wankster this week, bro. Cause what the hell are you talking about, bro? Like if you if y'all haven't if you guys haven't seen it, and that's just a small part of the interview that I just played for you. Do yourself a favor, go online and just search Michael Beasley, ten percent of your brain, and watch the whole thing, because the joint is crazy. Like because not only is it wow listening to it. When you look at him and see how much he strongly feels this way, like he's not playing. 
like the facial expressions that he's making. He's like really committed. He's really invested in this idea that only one man has used 11% of his brain and one person used 11% of his brain. And the only reason, the only evidence that he uses or gives you to support his claim is that somebody who says that we as humans only use 10% of our brain, he had to be so evolved that he used one more percent than everyone else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that site is so crazy. It's so crazy. Michael Beasley, people forget. Like, first off, again, I'm a Nick fan. So I don't know what the hell we doing signing Michael Beasley in the offseason. Right? We're going with the youth movement. We got to see what our young boys look like. Can they develop? Right? It's, almost, it's time for Chris Stops to step up. Willie Hernan Gomez. It's time for him to see if he can take on a bigger plate. We just drafted Frank, Frenchie Frank. We got to see what, what these boys can do. And what do we do to support the youth movement, to develop them and show them, you know, how to be pro professionals and winning, developing and winning basketball culture. We signed Michael Beasley. And like, make no mistake, from a talent perspective, Michael Beasley has got all the gifts you could ever want in a basketball player. People forget Michael Beasley was the second overall pick in the draft. He was taken ahead of Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love. Like, Kansas State Michael Beasley was so nice. And it, it just seems so far removed from that now because not he has he's never developed. It's never worked. And it hasn't just been one organization that you can blame. Like, look at Miami. Everybody works in Miami. Hell, Deion Waiters worked in Miami last year, but Michael Beasley couldn't. And he's been in Miami twice. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So what's wrong? Because there's got to be something. Because, again, it, the talent, the athleticism, he's only 28. And, look, I buried the lead. Yes, his ass sounds crazy as hell, talking about the 11% of the brain. But, in my opinion, the craziest thing about that interview, and, again, if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. But the wildest thing of that interview, my man Michael Beasley's got a watch wrapped around his ankle. Slim, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you understand? Like, yo, yes, people people who got all the juice, you understand, they want to make fashion statements. I get it, right? LeBron don't want to cut his hair. He LeBron, like, he got, he got all the juice. You feel me? Like, we all can crack jokes on LeBron, but, like, yo, we all know damn well he need to go ahead and shave his head. Like, we ain't stupid. He ain't stupid. But when you got juice, you kind of make your own move, I guess, right? Mike Tyson. Remember back in the day when Mike Tyson first got the crazy tattoo on his eye? You feel me? Like, everybody's got a face tattoo now. But when Mike first did it, people was like, yo, what's, what the hell's going on with Mike? But who's going to go up to Mike and be like, yo, you look stupid as hell, Mike, with that tattoo? <laughs> Nobody was, right? It's Mike Tyson. You know, back in the 80s. Michael Jackson walking around with, like, black pants and white socks and high waters. Everybody knew Michael Jackson looked stupid. He got a little sparkly glove and band-aids wrapped around his fingers. But Michael Jackson in the 80s was, you know, God bless the dead. Michael Jackson in the 80s was Michael Jackson. He had all the juice. Michael Beastie's got no juice. And you run around with a watch around your ankle? Would you try to start a fashion statement, bro? Get out of here. Oh, man, the Knicks are going to be so bad. But you know what? 
I don't want this to be like, because, you know, this is a fun segment. You know what I mean? Sports Wangster. We can listen to Michael Beasley and be like, yo, you know, what's going on with you, man? What you thinking? But honestly, I do think, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but there's a societal issue here, right? You know, for those of you who went to college, you know what I'm saying? Graduated. What's the, what's, what's the overwhelming thought? It was like, you go to college to to for self-exploration, you know, self-discovery, to challenge, you know, what we thought or what we think, you know, are the rules. You know what I'm saying? Like, college is a place for higher learning, for self-growth, for, you know, for inquisitive minds. And when I hear Michael Beasley talk about this 10% and 11% of your brain theory, right, and you see how engaged he is, it's hard for me to to ignore like man this is kind of a failure on our school systems because if michael beasley was 16 or 17 saying this you'd understand you'd be like okay all right now you know i i I see that you're interested in this and that this fascinates you this clearly has you know plucked an interest in his mind you know what i mean it's it's clear but a teacher in high school or professor should have used his his um, fascination, right? And flipped it. We talked about manipulating and manipulating the situation in the first quarter. Manipulated his inquisitive nature, right? His genuine interest in this topic and had Michael Beasley do the research so he can know. Because now he's 28 years old and look, I'm as guilty as anyone. You know, I'm laughing, listening to him. But you know, that's kind of messed up because it's clear the educational system failed him. And it's not just Michael Beasley. Like, you got Kyrie Irving running around talking about the earth is flat. Jalen Brown, that the earth possibly is flat. And I'm like, yo, what, what what's going on? You know, Michael Beasley, he transferred to Riverdale Baptist. No bull. Hand, right hand up. I live five minutes away, driving five minutes away from Riverdale Baptist. Right down the street from my house. And they talk about higher learning and all this other stuff. What is clear, when they when when Beastie transferred over there, they didn't care about his education. You understand? They cared about him selling those tickets, getting that exposure for that high school so they can renovate, getting some money. Same thing with Kyrie and Jalen Brown about the flat earth. You know, these kids at a young age are just, they're just told like they feel that they're going to be in the NBA, right? Because, yeah, kids always think, unfortunately, in certain pockets of a society that they're going to play sports like that's how they're going to make a living and we all know how you know how difficult that is and the eyes are not in your favor but these kids were told at a young age hey man you know you'll play basketball so we'll let this slide we won't challenge you from an educational standpoint we'll let this pass and now they're grown men talking about the earth is flat they're talking about how you know there's only one person who used 11 percent of his brain you know what I'm saying? It's 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 really a failure when you think of it from a societal standpoint. Like we just let these guys go on through the educational system just because they could play a sport and not ever really challenging them from a from an educational standpoint, from a mental standpoint, because it's clear these guys have that intrigue, that interest, right, to spark something. And that's what high school and especially college is for. You know what I mean? To challenge what we consider norms, to challenge the rules. And then once you figure it out, you know, the foundation is reinforced. But these guys, they've got this interest, but no one ever looked at them, you know, 
as a student, they only looked at them as an athlete, so they just passed them on by. And now they have this interest, and these guys are well-traveled now. But they go on YouTube, and some crazy dude gives out a, a theory that the earth is flat, and they run with it. You know what? Never mind. That's too deep. I'm not, I'm not trying to go that deep with y'all right now. You know, this segment is the sports wings that we having fun. So we're going to get these jokes off. But, you know, just keep that in mind when, you, when we're laughing at some of these athletes from time to time. He's like, man, the system really failed them from an educational standpoint. But that's enough about that. Like I said, we're about to get these jokes off. Michael Beasley, what the hell is wrong with you, man? You were the number two, number two pick in the draft. And now people only know about you because you got a watch around your ankle and you talking about 11% in your brain. Oh, it's going to be such a long year for the Knicks. It's going to be so bad. But of course, we got to end this segment the way the way the segment was intended to be the way 50 set it, set it up. So Michael Beasley, damn, homie, in high school, you was the man, homie. What the f*** happened to you? Goodness gracious. Oh, it's going to be a long year. All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn. That means the first half is over and done with. Thank you so much for rocking with me on the quarterly report. I hope you had fun. Hope you're enjoying the first half. We got a lot more stuff in store for you. Before we get to halftime, make sure you follow me on Twitter. We're at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. You can also email us if you want to get involved, you want to ask me a question, if you want me to talk about something for a quarter, music, sports, television, whatever, email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Yes, we are on iTunes. All you got to do is go to iTunes, go to the podcast directory, search quarterly report, You'll see the icon with my face on the coin. Click on it. Subscribe. And while you're at it, please rate and review the show. Give me stars. If you want to give me five, four, or even one, let me know your thoughts on the show. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. It's all good. Just let me know on iTunes after you subscribe. All right, man. Halftime is here. And, you know, it's been a rough, a rough week. Man, really, it's been a rough few months for the country, but obviously this week started off really, really horribly and tragically. So, you know, just try to make the show a little bit lighter, a little fun, more fun. You know, that's that's what I intended for the show to be when I started. The last few episodes have dealt with some heavy topics. And, you know, I'm not really trying to, I'm not trying to be that show. I want to have fun. I enjoy having fun. Hopefully, if you listen to the show, you have fun listening to me and you enjoy it as well. So, halftime this week is in that same spirit, right? Because what is more fun than listening to crazy-ass Ray Lewis? So I started a game, right? And this halftime is specifically for you at home. Listeners, you can engage. You can participate in this game listening to halftime. And the name of this game is... Did Ray Lewis really say that Take a listen. Welcome to Did Ray Lewis Really Say That The game sweeping America. Here are the rules. There are three rounds. In each round, we provide context and a quote. All you have to do is decide whether the quote is real or made up. Or in other words, did Ray Lewis really say that Okay, here's question number one. In trying to explain why he did not partake in the protest, despite being on both of his knees, 
did Ray Lewis say, one knee is for the team, two is for Jesus. It's up to you to decide. If you said that's an actual quote, you'd be correct. I want to always correct you when, when people say that. You say, because when people say, I took part in a demonstration, took part in a demonstration means I would have took one knee. I took two knees. One knees is for the team, two knees is for Jesus. Time for question number two. While talking to Stanford's men's basketball team prior to their NIT tournament appearance, did Ray Lewis tell the young men that in order to win, they'd have to be pissed off at greatness? If you guessed yes, you again would be correct. They think what they seen on film, they ain't saw what film shows. Because every day is a new day. Every moment is a new moment. So now you got to go out and show them that I'm a different creature now than I was five minutes ago. Because I'm pissed off for greatness. Ray Lewis actually really said that Okay, final question. On an appearance on Inside the NBA while talking to Kevin Garnett, did Ray Lewis really say he wanted to separate a man's body from his soul? You guessed it, it's a perfect three for three this week. So I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the bed in the hotel. I'm looking at this one play and I'm saying, Lord, please, if they throw this angle route, we're in New York. Dustin Keller runs this little shake right, tight right, end right, route. Right. I'm saying, if they throw this route, I will separate his soul from his body. Mm. Ray Lewis isn't only crazy, his ass is extremely violent. All right, thanks for playing the very first episode of Did Ray Lewis Really Say That? See you next time. Hey, uh, hey that dude is crazy, yeah. Hey, for real. Yo, I don't know if y'all had the time, but if you ever do, all you have to do is YouTube Crazy Ray Lewis or Wild Funny Ray Lewis Quotes. Yo, you, you'll get lost. Hours will fly by. You just laughing, Slim. One knee is for the team. Two knees are for Jesus. Hey, man, who made that rule up? <laughs> that joke is so funny to me. Okay, so honestly, I got a few things I want to say here before we get to the third quarter. Number one, I should really make a game out of this. You know what I'm saying? Because like you, you got a little get-together. You with your friends, you want to, you know, throw a little little gathering or whatever at your home, whatever, a little party, whatever, whatever. You know, you like to have people around, play little games, taboo, whatever. Like, you could play that game. Like, that game is super fun because the crazy thing is, so for halftime, I didn't want to use, like, three real quotes. I actually tried to make up something, like, make up a Ray Lewis quote. It's next to impossible. Like, it wasn't like I was going to have Ray Lewis say something about quantum physics, right? Because there's no reason why Ray Lewis, hopefully, would ever talk about quantum physics, right? So if you are actually trying to make up something fictional, a fictitious quote from Ray Lewis, right? But something that Ray Lewis would actually be talking about, it's next to impossible. Because he says so much crazy stuff that he probably already said it. <laughs> 
the dude talked about he prayed. And then later on, just like five words later, he talked about he wanted to separate a man's soul from his body. And you hear KG, like Garnett, all he can say is, mm, because you know, you know damn well he wanted to laugh. You know what I'm saying? Hey, how do you not laugh at stuff like that? And number two, Ray Lewis has a job at Showtime. Ray Lewis had a job at ESPN. He now has a job at Fox. How do people still put microphones in front of him? You understand? Like, for me, that was gold. Like, that's probably the best thing about this week's uh, podcast. Just listen to Ray Lewis say wild stuff. It's hilarious. But everybody don't have my sense of humor. I'm sure the people at Showtime, you know what I'm saying, at Fox, they don't have my sense of humor. I play that because I think it's funny. And if you listen to this show, you probably think it's funny, too. Ray Lewis ain't on a show with Phil Simms and James Brown to be funny. You know what I'm saying? They don't think that's funny. Ray Lewis, Slim, they got to get the microphone away from Ray Lewis. That joint is crazy. And I'll say this, man, because I'm not trying to make fun. CTE is a real thing. Really, really. I'm not trying to make fun of CTE. But honestly, I mean, come on. How many of y'all would bet that Ray Lewis doesn't have that joint? That man is crazy, young. Oh, man. One knee is for the team, two knees are for Jesus. Boy. <laughs> All right, man, that's halftime. I'm in a really good mood. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that half as much as I enjoyed making that. But we're going to keep things moving. We're going to go to college basketball now as I welcome in former Maryland Terrapins basketball uh, insider for NBC Sports Washington, my guy, Daniel Martin. <laughs> He used to cover the Maryland Terrapins in their basketball program before getting big time and taking on his new role as a content producer for NBC Sports Washington. My guest this week, Daniel Martin. Dan, what's going on, buddy? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, man. I can't complain. Can't complain at all. All right, guys, before we get started, make sure you follow Dan on Twitter. He's an excellent follow. He's got you down for all your college hoops, high school hoops, and so much more. He's at D Martin NBCS. Again, that's D Martin at NBCS. All right, Dan. So last week, you know, I spent most of my show talking about the NFL and their protest. But maybe the biggest story besides that was this investigation by the FBI into, you know, college basketball. And this has blown up in the uh, days since. So I have you on, and, I, and I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, this isn't the first time the government has gotten involved with an investigation into certain sports. You know, I'm reminded of Barry Bonds, the FBI that came after him, several different NFL cases as well. But this feels different. And as someone who's not the biggest college basketball fan, I'm a bit confused because I felt like we've all known that there's dirt in college sports, in this case, specifically college basketball. Um, so in your estimation, why is this different? Because it feels like just the scope of this is huge and it feels like they're not playing around. So why is this different? Why isn't this like, you know, past, you know, benign investigations by the government or is it not different? Well, I think that this could really like fundamentally change uh, the way that college basketball <laughs> operates and kind of, the relationships that colleges have with 
shoe companies and I mean it, it really depends on how these different things fall because you've got kind of wide ranging um people so far as far as job titles and all that that have been arrested. You've got assistant coaches but you've also got uh Andy Miller, the sports agent, he had things seized from his office. You've got some shoe company executives. So the question is kind of how the FBI goes about digging into these sort of things because um, the implications could be as far-ranging as, you know, implicating a lot more programs than there are now, or it could be relatively contained depending on the type of information that certain people are willing to give up. Or, I mean, you know, I don't think it's out of the question that <clears throat> there's a possibility that the NCAA's whole model ends up being brought out into the public and really, uh, you know, work through the court system in a way it hasn't before because a lot of this stuff, people would argue, and, and maybe the defense works this way, that the reason all this is happening is because of the amateurism model. So it could go in any number of directions, and it's really wild. I think it really shook college basketball to the core uh, when it broke. Yeah, definitely seemed that way, uh, especially last week. You know what I mean? Like, they they initially targeted assistant coaches, and, you know, obviously the first casualty was Louisville, but now you're, you're hearing investigation, internal investigations going on in Arizona as well. Um, so it's definitely a, uh, a seismic event in college hoops. But now, you know, you're starting to question just how deep does this rabbit hole go because at the beginning of the week, you heard about the initial investigations and Adidas, Adidas, excuse me, seemed like they were the, the biggest target. But now at the end of the week, there were rumblings about Nike Elite and, you know, other uh, apparel companies as well. So, again, I guess my second question to you, Dan, is just how deep do you think this this investigation goes? I think it all ends up depending on how much information guys are willing to give. Um, and it's been talked about, and I think that it's true that, uh, the assistant coaches that have been arrested there, when you think about it, they are sort of self-contained units. If, if uh, they've done what they've alleged, they're working on behalf of their university, and they don't necessarily have information on what other companies are doing, or uh, excuse me, other schools are doing. But uh, when you talk about possible agent ties and other shoe companies, they would be working, if all of this comes together as the FBI lays it out, they would be working with a lot more people. So it's it's not – I don't think it, it would come down to the assistant coaches. I think it would come down to the people that have the branches that kind of extend the farthest. That's I think that's going to determine how wide-ranging this ends up being. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Daniel Martin. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at DMartinNBCS. He used to cover the Maryland Terrapins. He's a big-time college basketball, high school basketball insider. He knows this stuff, so you want to make sure you want to follow him on Twitter. All right, Dan, going to pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, this is actually, although this is your quarterly report debut, this is really the second time we've interviewed or I've interviewed you. I just had some technical dif difficulties the first time and never made air. But this is the second time we'll be talking about LaMelo, LaMelo Ball and LaVar Ball this week. LeVar uh, made the decision to homeschool his son LaMelo for the remaining two years he has left in high school. So I've got a few questions, but I'll start off 
with this one. He already has his own signature shoe, and everyone was kind of wondering how that would affect his uh, eligibility uh, when he becomes a uh, college player. He's uh, already signed a letter of intent to UCLA. Does this move to homeschool for the next two years basically just signal to the world that he's going to be one of the few players to basically forego college and just play pro for one season overseas? Am I wrong to make that assumption? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility for that. There, there aren't a lot of guys who have been homeschooled uh, in high school and then gone on to the NBA. I think the most recent guy was Justin Jackson, the rookie forward for the Kings. He was homeschooled, uh, I think, for a period of time. I'm not sure if it was early in his career or later in his career. But, um, you know, it, it just kind of seems like, LeVar is, is doing whatever path he kind of wants to do. Um, like you mentioned, he challenged the amateurism thing uh, by by letting LaMelo release a signature shoe, and now he's homeschooled. I, I don't know what ends up happening with UCLA because if it was kind of discord between the coaching staff at LaMelo's high school and uh, LeVar, I don't think LiAngelo is going to get a ton of minutes at UCLA, so is there a chance that that same kind of fallout happens with UCLA, you just don't know. So, um, yeah, it does sort of seem like uh, it's setting up to go that path, either overseas or uh, the G League or something like that, but I guess we'll have to see. It's uh, it's one of the more interesting case studies in amateurism and, and uh, the value of prospects and all those different kinds of things. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Dan Martin, Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at DMartinNBCS. He's a content producer over there. He used to cover the Maryland Terrapins basketball program. He knows college hoops, high school hoops, inside and out. So if you're into that stuff, you're going to want to make sure you follow him. He's a great follow for that. Um, so, Dan, this is going to be my last, last question to you. Uh, 2017 has been a wild year for a lot of different reasons, you know, and, I, and I'll just leave it at that. But um, I don't know if anyone has had a more impactful, um, a bigger 2017 in regards of sports, in, in terms of sports, I should say, than LeVar Ball. Like, in 2016, I knew nothing about him. And, you know, I don't, I don't watch college basketball. I'm not big in high school hoops. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. But this year, I mean, from his shoe brand, his son, Lonzo, was the second overall pick. But if you were to go by Q rating, you know, he's the most known player from this lottery. You know what I mean? And it's off the strength of his dad. So whether you're talking about the company, the shoe, his sons, LaMelo being homeschooled and releasing his own shoe, the whole nine, talk about the impact that LeVar Ball has had in just a matter of months and 10 months essentially. And you know how his branding, his marketing and his just kind of presence in the sports landscape has shifted kind of how we look at not just sports parents, but branding and apparel all in all. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think he's the, the leader in the clubhouse for time person of the year at this point. <laughs> right. Um, because not only are all those things, but his son was the number two overall pick to the team he guaranteed he would go to. Like, it, it's just, like, LeVar's got to be 
uh, in the business of picking people lottery numbers or something because it's wild <laughs> how everything has, has come up his way. Um, and I saw a video on Twitter yesterday at the Lakers preseason game. There was a line all the way up the stands to meet LeVar. I saw that. Um, it's just, it's insane. And, you know, talk about case studies, uh, brand marketing and, uh, and kind of self-marketing is, um, pretty impressive with him. I, I, you know, you can take issue with his methods at times, but man, it has worked. The thing that somebody said, I remember on Twitter in the days leading up to the draft, this was before, you know, he got into an actual Lakers uniform and had to do regular interviews and all that. In the days leading up to the draft, somebody mentioned, like, does anybody know what Lonzo Ball's voice sounds like? <laughs> and it's like, when you think about it, you're like, oh my God, no, I, I don't really know. But you, you've got this mental picture of him basically because of the things that his father's done to uh, be, you know, part of the regular 24-hour news cycle. But uh, it's pretty wild, and, and I'm interested to see uh, what ends up happening with him because yeah. I think he's an immensely talented player. But I also think that there's now this dynamic of all of the all of the people who dislike LeVar put that on Lonzo. So the first time he gets his shot pinned against the backboard – or right. just dumped on or something, it's just going to be it's going to be wild. I agree with you 100% on that one. But you know what? It's show improved time for Lonzo. You know what I mean? I think he's an immensely talented player, and yeah, there are going to be people who are going to root for his failure only because they dislike his dad. So it's going to be on Lonzo's shoulders to see if he can carry that that burden because he's been in, he's he's been put in an amazing position by his father's ability to market not only himself but his sons, and their brand. All right, guys, that's my guy, Daniel Martin. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at DMartinNBCS. Used to cover the Maryland Terrapins College Hoops program, but he knows all the ins and outs on college hoops, high school, and so much more. Make sure you give him a follow. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Quarterly Report. I appreciate it, man, anytime. All right, guys, three quarters are in the book, so we've only got one quarter left. As you can tell, this is a really heavy NBA theme show, so we're going to stick to that with our last topic this week. I don't know about you, but I appreciate innovation. I appreciate change. I appreciate self-assessing, you know, realizing where something can improve and then actually doing it, not sticking with the status quo, right? Just because we're, everything is okay doesn't mean that we're excelling. Like Just because things are fine doesn't mean that this is as best it could be that's one of the reasons i think i love the nba so much because in a matter of days the nba they've done two things to i don't know if drastically is the right word but significantly changed you know two staples of their league one i agreed with and i'm actually excited to see and another i actually am frowning upon and i think they may have messed with and they may have they may have messed up the idea without realizing what they've done. First, this week we realized that the NBA they announced that they will change the All Star format, and it won't be an East versus West uh, showcase anymore, and that it'll be almost like a playground. You know, two captains pick their rosters, and I think that's dope. Um, I'm not one of the people who care too much about any all-star game, honestly. You know, you, you hear people call, cr criticize and complain about the Pro Bowl and baseball's all-star game and the NBA all-star game. The all 
All-star games are exhibitions. You know what I mean? Those guys, they put on a, a performance, really. They know that it's primarily for young fans, and the younger fans want to see the dunks and, you know, crazy alley-oop passes and behind the back and crossovers and all that stuff. No one wants to see, you know, 94, 91 all-star games. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to see that, at least not the children. So, you know, I always kind of thought it was funny how people complain about the Pro Bowl and the Pro Bowl still gets great ratings. Or they complain about the all-star game. And, you know, the all-star game does what the all-star game is supposed to do. It's a showcase. And really, even when I was a kid, all-star Saturday night for the NBA is where it's at. You know, I, the game is the game, whatever. I don't even watch the All-Star game, honestly, except for the fourth quarter. I think the fourth quarter is kind of fun. But for the NBA, it's all about the All-Star Saturday night. But, you know, they wanted to add a level of intrigue into their All-Star showcase, the main event, if you will, the, the game itself. And I think that having two captains pick teams, especially considering how petty the NBA is and how high school Things are where they're clicks and guys who don't like each other and the, it, the whole nine. I think it's it's going to add a level of interest to the to the the surrounding elements to the game. Now, will this make me want to watch the game anymore? No, but you know I may be intrigued. They obviously are going to telecast like the picking, the selecting of the teams, and I'll watch that. I'll check that out. So you know, good on them. You know, the All-Star game is not for me. Um, the All-Star game is for, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, you know, and I'm sure they'll eat all this up. So good on the NBA on that. But a few days prior, right, before they made the All-Star announcement, they announced that they had changed the uh, some details with the lottery system. Now, again, if you listen to this show and if you listen to it from the beginning, number one, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Number two, you know that I had my own idea about fixing the draft situation with the NBA and I'll, I'll basically merging, merging that with shorting, shortening the NBA season. Obviously, they didn't hear me and they don't give a damn about my thoughts. But that's fine. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to hold a grudge. However, I think that they have made a bad situation worse with this new move about fixing quote-unquote fixing the lottery system if you don't know now the it was the the three worst teams had very large percentages chance of winning the number one overall pick and now they just extended that that the top five teams have an equal shot essentially of getting the number one overall pick so the idea is this will uh, limit, put a cap on tanking, but I don't understand the logic behind that, right? Because number one, you're basically incentivizing the five teams, right? To be instead of having it just locked to three teams, and the idea of tanking was a bit over publicized, if you will, right? The 76ers, what they did, they 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 made it perfectly clear, right? This is what they intended to do, and they were just transparent about it so if you felt somehow disrespected about that i can understand it but it wasn't like there were like four three or four teams trying to catch up with the sixers in tanking you know what i mean that wasn't the case 
In fact, my Knicks, we should have had Carl Anthony Towns three years ago now. We ended up drafting Kristaps Porzingis, so I don't hate it, but Towns is significantly better than Kristaps. And we would have had the worst record in the league had it not been for Derek Fisher's idea of winning a meaningless three-game win streak at the end of the season, which basically moved us from not the worst record, but to the second worst record. And Minnesota ended up having the worst record, and obviously we know what happened there. They ended up with the number one overall pick. So the idea that all these teams are tanking isn't true. Like the Knicks didn't tank at their own detriment a few years ago. And it's not just the Knicks. I mean, you look back, the team who has the worst record in the NBA very rarely ends up with the number one overall pick. So, you know, it's kind of weird when you hear all these people criticize tanking in the NBA, where in the NFL and other leagues, they just automatically give the worst team the number one overall pick. You understand? So tanking, there is no scientific evidence that suggests that tanking in the NBA works. In fact, there are some articles, some data that would say that it actually has the adverse effect. Like it actually does more harm than good. It doesn't help teams out in the long run. So you got to kind of start at that point that the issue with tanking wasn't as big and wasn't as significant as a lot of people made it out to be. But now when it was just three teams, right? If you're one of the three worst teams, you have a larger chance of getting the number one overall pick than every other team. Now you are basically rewarding the five worst teams. So now you're incentivizing, right? If there's a, a close, I don't even want to say race, but if, if teams seven, six, and five are close, right? And in terms of like their worst record, what's to stop team seven, team seven, and team six from not tanking? You're basically giving them a, a, a life raft. Because if you're saying that tanking is this big problem, you're basically are now adding two more teams at least to the race to tank. Because now it's not a matter of having the worst record. It's just have one of the five worst records and your shot is just as good. So like the logic behind the NBA's changing of the, the lottery system is baffling to me because it makes no sense. Like if, if you feel that tanking is a problem, you wouldn't then expand the number of teams, right, who would benefit from having a worse record. If you, at your core, feel that that's a problem, and obviously they do because they made a change. You know, now there, there are a lot of different ways I feel that you could change the draft. Again, I made my pitch. Again, it's one of, I want to say it's episode two, but it may be episode three. If you're new to the show, just listen to all of them. Just go start at episode one and catch all the way up. But my idea, short, is to cut the season to 60 games. And to make up those added games, you have a tournament at the end of the regular season between the, the teams who don't make the playoffs. And the winner of said tournament gets the number one overall pick. That way you would incentivize winning. You're building a winning culture and fans, not just locally, but nationally, will have, you know, a greater appreciation for all the teams, not just the teams who make the playoffs, because the the quote-unquote loser bracket, if you will, right, those games will be televised too. And everyone loves tournament-style basketball, right? It could be the tournament, NCAA, the playing games, 
NIT, it doesn't matter. Conference tournaments, the whole nine. People love brackets. People love basketballs playing playing in a tournament, right? That's my opinion. But you know what? There are a lot of other ideas out there. In fact, one idea that I saw Stan Van Gundy champion, and he's not the only one. Others have done it as well. Just get away with it. Just do away with the draft, right? Just let rookies sign with whatever team they want. If you honestly feel that the draft is a problem, it's problematic, then just do away with it. You know, I mean, why not? These guys have billions of dollars. If you want a guy, let it go to the highest bidder. It's capitalism, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's the best, but that's an idea. If, again, if you honestly feel that the lottery system is wrong, don't tweak it. Do away with it. All right, guys. Hopefully, you don't do away with me in this show. Hopefully, you come back next week for even more of the quarterly report. Thank you so much for listening to me this week. I really had fun this episode. Had a lot of different funny little stuff to, to throw out there for you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you have to do is go to iTunes, go to the podcast directory, search the show quarterly, that's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report. You'll see the icon with my face on a coin. Click on that, subscribe to the show, and please rate and review. Tell your friends to listen to the podcast. We're growing, but I want the show to continue to grow because, man, I really love doing this, and I hope you guys love listening. Also, get in, get involved. Interact with me. I love talking sports. I love talking TV, music, the whole nine. And I love to hear from you all who listen to the show. So you got a few ways to do so. You can email the show. We're at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. You know, follow me. Let me know. Tweet at me the whole nine. I go back and forth with people all the time, online, whatever the case. If you like the show, I want to hear from you. All right, guys, that's this show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I'll see you back next week on the Quarterly Report.